How do you go about feeling confident in doing something that you have just been made well aware of how, fall, how far I fall short? Thank you, Dan. Appreciate the, the challenges of looking at not just the ideal, but looking at the goal, looking at what to reach for. I've really enjoyed your brethren, your brethren sharing um, specifically the, the messages we've had to this point. I've also enjoyed the fellowship together. I think these times are times that are needful in my own heart. And I uh, enjoy the fellowship. Lord bless you sisters for being here too. We were just talking, Annette and I, on the way here this morning about the, the years when she stayed home from these events, depending on family stage and all that was going on. Um, it's a lot of focus over here, but this whole thing would kind of fall a little flat and dull if none of you showed up. So we're, we're glad for blessing of individuals. So God created us individuals in the beginning God. And in the beginning, God created man. And in the beginning, God created woman. And he made man like he wanted man to be. And he made woman distinctly like he wanted woman to be. And they were two distinctly different individuals. And then he brings them together and he says to become one. And you can move to... 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and read through the different the illustration of the different parts of the body the eyes and the nose and the hand and the smelling and the disclosed or the, the covered parts made disclosed in, in the book brought to, brought to light the, the hidden parts that we think are you know all of that all the individual parts. And then he comes to the illustration relating that to the church and says that now become one and function like a body. And so we think about how we function. And we, we don't consciously make the decision for our, for our hand to catch the tear before it falls or to scratch the itch or, you know, we, we just do those things that make us feel comfortable. Our body blends and works together and all of these different components become, though they are individual in their benefit and individual in what they bring to the table, they become one in purpose and, and goal and design. I don't know if any of you in your, in your experiences with painting, um, I had a few years of a painting career. And I well remember a time when I picked up the wrong bucket and I dumped in my water thinner into what I thought was latex paint, but it was oil-based. And you start taking oil and you and water and you try mixing them together and it doesn't take long at all to realize that there are a couple of components there that don't like each other. They, they don't mix well. And then you get these little, these little doggy magnets out of the Cracker Jacks box, if I can date myself just a little bit. Uh, some of you remember them. And and you take those things and you got the, the positive and the negative and the poles. And, and you can bring them together, you can turn them around, and you can chase the one with the other. And it just stays away. You, you cannot make them come together. You force it together and you let go and it comes apart. It, it, won't, it won't blend. Or you take copper 
and attach it directly to steel and put it out in the weather or take copper and try to attach it with steel instead of raw steel instead of stainless steel fasteners. And the electrolysis, it, it deteriorates, it, it ruins itself. They, they don't blend, they don't, they don't mix. And then you try taking two people with selfish hearts and you've got the same problem that you do with oil-based paint and water. We could probably put an exclamation mark there and, and call it quits. Really, as we think about what God wants for us, whether it's in marriage, whether it's within a brotherhood, whether it's within a ministerial team, and, and as I understand the intent of this topic, at least, yes, as I understood it, and the way I'm, the way I'm pursuing it is that we're looking at, at how this affects our ministerial teams working together and how the outflow of that may affect us on a broader, on a broader base. It doesn't matter what of those areas you take. You take us and you put us together, and if there's selfishness within our hearts, if there's stubbornness within our relationships, we just will not, we will not mesh well. We will not blend well. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. That was going to be my opening passage, too. So it still is going to be. I don't need to reread verses 11 through 16, but I do want to catch a few of the verses at the beginning of the chapter. Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. With all, notice the characteristics here, with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Then we have this parenthetical phrase, now that he ascended, what is it? That he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And then it goes on, these gifts that he began describing in verse 7 and 8. He gave apostles, prophets, and so on. For the perfecting for the edifying, let's just highlight a few of these things, till we come in the unity of the faith unto many different perfect men, but that's not the picture, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, and may I say individuals, tossed to and tossed fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the things that come and, and pressures that, that uh, bear in on us and things that appeal to us, that we wouldn't be carried about and deceived, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him which is the head, Christ being the head, we being the body, we may grow up in him from whom that whole body is so fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. And you think about a block wall and, and the, the beauty of, of and uniqueness of masonry as it is fitted together, maybe not blocks but stones, as, it, as it's fitted together and every one of them components in color and shape and size that add to the character of the wall. 
according to the effectual working in the measure of every individual, in the measure of each part. And so I think it's pretty tough for us to say that this doesn't work because my ministerial team just is not effective. The body is not. No, it's the effectual working, the, the coming together, the success of the body is dependent upon every individual receiving that gift and that ability from Jesus Christ. The, the effectual working of God in the heart of every individual part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And so we have the cause and, and, and the solution. If a selfish, stubborn heart is the cause, the solution is the effectiveness of, of God's work within our hearts to bring increase to the body and to the edifying of itself in love. I'd like us to think about several things that are either producers or a result of this thing of individualism, independence, How, how do you define it in the, in the negative sense? How do, you, how do you define it as we're considering it here in our subject this morning? We understand that individual, being an individual is a positive thing. We, we don't like somebody that refuses to be their own person and tries to be everybody else. But then when I set myself aside and insist that it be as I see it, then we have a problem with that too, don't we? An excessive or exclusive regard to one's personal interests. That's what the dictionary told me about that word. An excessive or exclusive regard to one's personal interests. <clears throat> I reflect back over the years, my, my short section of years in relation to our ministerial teams within our fellowship, and for the most part, I, I feel like there has, um, there has been strength and blessing and blending in our ministerial teams. You know how it is, it doesn't take long for one of us to struggle in a ministerial team and to have have some issues it, it's you don't keep it covered for long do you it soon is exposed to the brotherhood it's soon exposed beyond the brotherhood we we kind of we have a feel probably for each other's I mean you just start thinking about our different churches let it let it run through your mind you start thinking about the ministerial teams that are existing in our churches you have a little bit of a inner sense as to whether they're teams that blend and go well or whether they're not. We probably do with each other. We probably largely have, you know, we might be a little wrong because we're not right up against it, but, and as I, as I see our ministerial teams, I have appreciation for what I, for what I feel from my perspective in relation to our teams working and blending together, but we can also relate, probably most of us, to times of, of friction and of division and of hurt. Um, those times have existed among us as well. And they carry long-lasting e effects. You take a team, you take a relationship, you take a, a husband and wife relationship, and that, that team, that blending together, the greater the miracle of, of blending and unity and blessing, the more beautiful the picture that God brings, the more disastrous 
it is when Satan reach in, reaches in and destroys that. And maybe second to our, or third, uh, second to our relationships to God and our relationships as husband and wife, probably are these ministerial team relationships. Who else do you work so closely with? Yeah, I understand there's close business relationships and we interact a lot that way as well, but, but it's pretty high in the list. And when, when hurt happens there, it hurts. It goes deep. And so I think about our, on one hand, I think about our, our current condition within our, my perception within our churches, and I wonder, well, maybe, maybe we don't really need this message. Maybe we're doing fine with our relating to each other. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, so let's go ahead and look at these things, and even as I studied them, I, you know, it gets pretty practical, and I, I feel some of these things within my own heart, in my own my own relationships and so ministerially speaking it was good for me to think about it I'd like us to think a little about these six things a distortion of Christian liberty a deterioration of communication a dodging of responsibility a departure from the brother from brotherhood a delusion of oneself and a disregard of authority <clears throat> With each of these, I have a quote, and I'd like you to help me with who said it. A distortion of Christian liberty. Let's think about this just a little bit. Who said it? Um, Hath he not spoken by us also? Miriam and Aaron. Hath he not spoken by us also? I'm not going to spend a lot of time with those examples, but I'd like us to just set the tone with that just a little bit. Somehow Miriam and Aaron felt a freedom to come to Moses about this Ethiop. Well, they didn't actually come to him about it, but the Bible says that they did not like this fact that he had married an Ethiopian woman. And that was the problem. But what they came with was, hasn't he spoken by us also? And their despising of Moses in this case was rooted right back in this relationship with, with this Ethiopian woman, this marriage that Moses had with her. Numbers 12, too, you can, you can look at that. Somehow they felt freedom to take issue with something that God had evidently blessed. God had, God had allowed to be, and they, they took issue with it. But it came out in a very challenging and out-of-place way. I, I think Moses could have handled a conversation with them about it. But it came out in a, God's talked to us too. You know, you're not the only one that hears from God. And God got very specific as you read down through that story. He got very specific with them. And he said, you know, I've, I've given visions to prophets and all, but with Moses, I meet face-to-face. -face. I, I talk with him face-to-face. -face. And he, he brought them back into, back into place. I'd like to just open up this, the comments on Christian liberty with that in the background. How do we view our liberty in Christ? If it's an opportunity for self-expression, if it's an opportunity for me to, to be my own individual and to stand alone and to feel good about it, regardless of how you feel, <clears throat> how my ministerial team feels, a privilege to, to go ahead and walk my own path and let the pieces fall where they will and in the wake of my path. <clears throat> Maybe even for pulling away and, well, I'm sure that this is the right direction. My team is headed in a wrong direction. I'm going to go ahead and do what I think is right rather, rather than coming together and, and blending. 
Christian liberty? What is... I think we have to be so careful that the expressions of our liberty, of our perspective, of our feeling about how to move ahead, that we are not motivated by the flesh. That we're not motivated by, a, by an inordinate uh, desire or direction within our own hearts. If it's an expression of the flesh, it certainly isn't Christian liberty, is it? And when the flesh is a motivation for us, there will be negative results. It's so crucial for us ministerially to, to blend our perspectives, to convey a same voice, to, to come from the same place, a unified position, to give the same signal. we end up pushing our personal perspectives and and these things can come out so easily in conversations after the meeting after the men's meeting after the meeting with with the family or or whenever it is and and someone comes and begins to ask one of you within your ministerial team comes and asks you and you well yeah I I didn't quite see it that way but Is that okay? If we're on ministerial teams, we have to be real with our people. We have to be honest. But somehow we have to work through those things before we come to the meeting so that when we go through the meeting, we can come out with a a stance that is together, that is unified, that is that is giving the same signal. If we find ourselves in a position where we really don't like, we don't want to be thought as part of that decision, and then we begin to somehow convey that. Individualism. How, how is it for us in that? It, it can be difficult. It can be difficult. Galatians 5.16, this I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the, not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The expressions of Christian liberty are really true expressions of the selfless love of Jesus that we should have in our own hearts. The new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. Galatians 5, 13, and a couple verses following. For brethren, ye have not been called unto liberty. I'm sorry. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not that liberty as an occasion to the flesh. But by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. And so this thing... This thing can so easily become expressions of our flesh. We want to defend our perspective. We don't want to... We're struggling with a united voice. Our Christian liberty is an opportunity for us to lay down our perspective and embrace our brothers. It's an opportunity for us to express love for that brother over a love for, though I think I see it so clearly and a little bit differently. A deterioration of communication. Who said it? The work is large and great and we are separated. Nehemiah, the building of the wall. He realized the need for cohesion in a project. He realized the potential of all of their enemies that were standing by, critiquing, criticizing, threatening, to get in between them as they were spread out on this great wall and this great project. So just liken that to our lives. We've been talking about time and responsibility and all of the great tasks that are laid upon us. And as you come and I go and he stays and 
there's two or three of you in your team, and there can be a lot of coming and going. There can be a lot of projects. There can be a lot of work, and the project is great. And I think the truth is so that the work is great and large, and we be separated. The work takes us different directions. We, we don't all stay at home, and, and we don't all go away at once, and we, don't all, we aren't all involved in the very same projects. And in that separation, there's potential for us to get involved in our own little projects. Me in the Bible school work. One of my co-ministers in something else. Yeah, we, can, we can get consumed with the own li- our, own little, our own little things. And a deterioration of communication can happen. The life of a ministerial team. There's many opportunities for miscommunication and misunderstanding. Communication is such a little thing, but it's such a huge thing. And when we get too busy to take time for necessary discussion, when a team member finds that it's easier to just go ahead and make a decision and and move ahead with something than what it is to get us together to communicate, It's a deterioration of communication. Or maybe the solution looks so clear to you and it just seems laborious. You know, some of us think through our, uh, some of us talk through our thought processes. And others of us silently think and nobody knows how we arrived at our conclusion. There's two different personalities and both sides have a ditch but while I be one that tends to talk through my thought process because I want my brethren to know how I got there because I want to know how they got there I can well understand that probably a brother who thinks through things and I have no idea how he got there might get tired of listening to how I got there and sometimes the process in that whole thing of blending maybe it looks like more problem to come up with a with a consensus than to just go ahead and just do it a deterioration of communication. May I also insert here, I don't know how you find it, but I don't think technology does us any favors on this thing of communication. Um, Maybe you have a little ministerial text um, group, I don't know. I'm not against that. I think we can pass announcements around and little thises and thats and happenings via text. But I would suggest that we don't try to use text to solicit opinions and ideas from each other. Yeah, that kind of, yeah, we're busy, we're occupied. Maybe we think the other person's busy and occupied and we want to preserve that, give room for that. But don't. The phone call that says, I really want to hear what you think about this, is much more meaningful than the text that says, what do you think? And I'm supposed to respond, or you're supposed to respond to me with a couple liner. And you're, you've got a half hour of conversation to give me so that I really understand where, where you're coming from. Learn to communicate on such a level that you can understand how each other has arrived at the same conclusion. Deterioration of communication. I think, it seems to me as I've just made my own observations and and related to this particular point in in my study, Sometimes we can provoke that independent spirit by the way we communicate. We can kind of push, push someone off. 
Maybe we keep a team member guessing about how he fits into a project or what part he's going to have to play because we don't give him any information until the very last minute. It's then all of a sudden it's there. What about simply going ahead with something publicly before we are convinced or know that the team is on the same page? And so our people expect us to present ourselves, yes, and they realize there's differences, but when we come to presenting things to our congregations and maybe even our messages, the teaching that we give, to, to give an uncertain sound, to come across, and we know that we haven't taken time to know whether our brethren feel the same way about this practical issue or that practical issue. We create some issues after the service when people go around, well, I didn't know you all felt this way. Well, what are you going to say when you really didn't feel that way? but it was presented as though maybe you did. How, how are you going to deal with that? These, these are little, little areas where I think individualism kind of crops up. We don't mean it that way, but, but we get careless. It, deterioration of communication. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and a book of remembrance was written. Well, maybe this is one of the times we're taking the verse out of context. Um, we use that verse a lot, but... And I, I don't, I don't want to abuse it at all. But I do believe that it is true. In a, in a standalone, the book of remembrance was written before them that feared the Lord, that thought upon His name. You see, our fear of God and our, our concept, our, our focus on presenting God is not an individualistic approach. We, we must come together in that presentation. It's, it's part of the picture. Another part of this communication, confess your faults one to another and pray one for, that ye may be healed. Again, I don't believe it's taking it out of, out of context in relation to this type of communication. There is nothing that heals in a ministerial team more than just frank, honest confession. I failed. In this way or that. Romans 15, 5-7 Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive you one another as Christ also received us by the glory of God. And the only way we will glorify with one mouth and one mind is to receive one another. There's a reason, I think, why, why it's in context there. Receive one another. Certainly, on this thing of communication, gossip and slander cannot be part of a ministerial team, cannot be part of relationships that are going to be cohesive. Communication is a powerful tool to bring us together, and if we want our people to stand together, they must see us standing together in communication. And part of this reaches out farther than if we, taking our own way, maybe we can be cohesive as a ministerial unit, but are we communicating to our people? Are we bringing them along cohesively as well? A deterioration of communication can happen there and be just as divisive. Yeah, sure, it's a ministerial team, but, but we can be individualistic corporately, if you know what I mean. And we want to talk a little bit about that as we go along. But... A ministerial team can be corporately individualistic. We think through our processes and we come to our congregation, we just present it and, well, how did you come to that conclusion? Somehow we need to help them understand just as we need to understand from each other how we got there. 
so that they can come in and they can support and they can be blessed by it. We can condemn this thing of individualism, but then if we function that way with them, separate and, and, and cut off from them, counterproductive. Healthy fellowship is always coupled with healthy communication and genuine acceptance. I Maybe just to, to bring that genuine acceptance into the umbrella of God's truth in Romans chapter 15... You know, we need to accept each other, but we don't accept each other to a fault. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor. If it stopped there, it'd be to a fault. But it says, for his good, to edification. And so there's, there, is a, there is a overarching position there that helps us to understand this thing of acceptance of each other dodging responsibility or dodging accountability whichever way you want to put it who said for the people have spared the best of the sheep that's an easy one for the people so Samuel comes to Saul he says what is this that I hear Blame is one of the seedbeds in which individualism grows. I'd like us to think about how that is just a bit. Before that, let's just take a look at Exodus chapter 20, chapter 32. A couple of words of Aaron to Moses. So Moses and Aaron are a team, and Moses is up on Mount Sinai, and Aaron is down with the people. And the people come to the people come to Aaron and they put pressure on him in Moses' absence. Have you ever felt it? You ever feel the pressure of people coming to you in an attempt, well, maybe they wouldn't say it that way, but it feels distinctly as an attempt to drive a wedge between you and your co-ministry. Now, I know you think just a little differently than this. And, and they work their way in there and, oh, you feel like you can't say anything without going in a distinctly wrong direction. Well, Aaron here felt the pressure. Why did this people, what, in verse 21, what did this people do unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? So Moses was realizing that Something must have happened here, but he, he laid it right at Aaron's feet that thou hast brought this sin upon them. And Aaron said, oh, don't get upset, it's not. Come on, let not my Lord's anchor wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, make us gods which shall go before us. For, for as for this Moses, here you are Moses, he's right here. As for this Moses, who knows how long it's going to be till he comes back again. Blame divides. Blame divides. You think about the effective leaders, Old, Old Testament leaders. You think about Daniel. How did he pray? We have sinned. God, be merciful unto us. You think about Nehemiah before he went to the rebuilding of the walls. And his prayer to God in chapter 1 is full of we, we, we. Nehemiah wasn't even there. Moses was the very same way. We, us, our. A healthy team, a healthy team stands up for each other. Again, not to a fault, but with confidence in each other's motives. We must stand up for each other with that kind of confidence. You may have to go back, I may have to go back and renew that confidence. Don't do it publicly. Stand together. We all make mistakes. We all say things wrong once in a while. 
we all have personal weaknesses and there will always be those times when one of us on the team will be conspicuously wrong. Those, those times happen. Can we embrace, can we embrace, not you, but we? Can we become part of? Can we humble ourselves to take on, in a sense, the failure of our co-minister? I think of times when my co-ministry have done that for me. You have a meeting with one of your families. And after that, the, the father comes to you and says, what, what did he mean, one of your co-ministers, what, what did he mean when he said that? You probably have several choices to answer. You could say, well, I don't know what he meant. I, I didn't know it at the time. I, I really didn't understand it at the time either. You could say, you could avoid the issue maybe altogether and just say, well, maybe you should just go ask him. You know, that, that's kind of a good biblical Mennonite response. Maybe you should just go ask him. But if it's one of your team members, is it the right response? There might be situations where it could be. Can you say, can you, can you reach back beyond his question to the heart of what you were trying to convey in the meeting and say, we feel that? Maybe this specific enough that you don't know the answer to, and you can say, let's go to him and, and hear what he has to say. And so you take him and you go to him. That's a team response. Sometimes we must be willing to assume the consequences of what has happened by one of our team members. We, we need to be willing to assume, take on those consequences. Don't be so individually minded that you want to make sure that the blame falls where it belongs and it's, you know, it's his to see after. Be a team member. Again, I believe it's exemplary for our people in this thing of dealing with individualism, for them to see that we are willing to assume more than our responsibility to smooth an issue and to go on. We're willing to assume more. Romans chapter 14. <clears throat> Breaking into this chapter in relation to the eating of meats, difference of perspectives in relation to things. But why dost thou, verse 10, why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Why dost thou judge thy brother? blame on a ministerial team divides. A departure from brotherhood. Who said, why sittest thou thyself alone? Jethro. Jethro to Moses. And he saw Moses frantically going about his work. He said, why sittest thou thyself alone? Just a, a couple of passages here that relate to a thought about this thing of, you know, how do, how do you view yourself in relation to your ministerial team and responsibility and, and the part that you have in it? 
And when I say a departure from brotherhood, brotherhood in a ministerial team, brotherhood in my mind is seeing the strong points of each other and utilizing those to their fullest extent. It's, it's blending in that process. Rather than letting our differences push us different directions and, and divide us. And there's a concept that I'd like to just mention here from several verses. We, we read Ephesians 4, verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And it goes on to talk about, the, about gifts, about the imparting of responsibility to various individuals. But notice it's given according to a measure of the gift of Christ. Go to Romans chapter 12. And verse 3 says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And then it goes on to talk about gifts in the body. We being many, but we're one body and having gifts differing. And so there is a measure that has been given to each of us. And so we, we are to humbly think of ourselves in that light. The measure. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul talks about not stretching ourselves beyond our measure in verse 14, though we reach not unto you, for we are come as unto you also in preaching the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope that when your faith is increased, we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. And so the measure that Paul felt here toward the Corinthians, he said he would not step outside of that and get involved in what other men have done there. They had a, they had a, a measure of responsibility that they extended themselves in toward the Corinthians, and it had its limits. And then we go to John chapter 3, where John the Baptist is talking about Jesus Christ. And it says that God has given the Spirit to him. How does it say it? Without measure. Without measure. I believe there is design in this whole, in this whole thing. None of us have been given all of it. And intentionally so. You have received a gift you have received a gift, you have received a gift, and the intent is not that each of us would be able to do everything, but that together we could accomplish the whole. And there is, a, there is design in that. We shouldn't feel bad for not being able to keep up with our brother. Let it not be a thing of competition among us that, that I can't preach as well as he, or I can't do personal work as well as he, or I... You know, maybe it's a little too much the other way. I can't do it, so I'm going to let him do it. Um, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. We've been given a measure, and together we exercise ourselves in that measure. Let's remember that individually we have only received a measure. To accept each other and to allow each other to bring to the table that which God has vested in them without judging them weak because they can't do this as well as somebody else. As every man hath received a gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so a healthy team outlook will be one of confidence, one of trust, one of appreciation. And it'll function from that premise. Rather than suspicioning that he's meaning it wrong, he's doing something wrong, he's because he's he doesn't have it all. And we may we may tend to judge our brother, back to that, that thought of judging, and we should not. 
ministerial teams that are usually made up of mixed personalities. They're always made up of mixed personalities, but there's usually somebody who's very, very firm on principle, someone who's black and white. There's someone who's very relational and just, we can't do anything without developing relationship. And then somebody else that has another characteristic and don't despise each other in those strengths, but blend and build through those strengths. God intends for us to not become individuals, but to become one in our, in our work in the church. A delusion of oneself. Who said it? Give me also this power. Simon, Simon the sorcerer. Give me also this power. He said it to Peter. And John, desire for prominence, popularity. Third John chapter 9 talks about Diotrephes who wished to have the preeminence, who wanted to, wanted to be at the top. Pride is one of those things that creates a spirit of independence. Pride is one of those things that divides us. Pride is one of those things that prevents me from accepting my brother. It makes me oblivious to and therefore unconcerned about how my brother is feeling. I, I just have this perspective and I've got this tunnel vision and I know that it's right. I know that it's going to be the thing that's the answer to the need. And pride lifts us up then and results in contention. Pride is, is very, very effective in individualism. It makes me dangerously confident We must respect each other. Again, finding blessing in each other's strengths and encouraging, encouraging each other in our weaknesses, helping us develop. We, we need to do that. But humility is protection against this thing of, of capitalizing on my brother's weakness because I see what I have if I am... I see the weaknesses I have if I have a humble heart, if I, if I can embrace humility. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Philippians 2, 1 to 5, if there be any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, I'm sorry, let me start at the beginning. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind of Christ be in you. This mind which is in Christ Jesus. We must prefer one another. We won't be able to maintain any amount of similarity in, and unity in moving forward ministerially as a team if we don't hold this. A disregard for authority. Who said it? Bring hither a burnt offering to me. Saul did. Saul did for Samuel. Chapter 13. And he got tired of waiting. And the Philistines were making a ruckus. And the people were separating from him. And he waited for seven days. Bring me an offering. And he offered the offering. And Samuel came to him and said, Saul, what have you done? What have you done? God has rejected you from being king. Because of your disobedience. Disregard for... Respective authority, even on a ministerial team, there's a necessity for, for smoothness, for, for being able to move ahead in an organized way. There's a necessity that there is, there is an order of authority. And there is a bit of separation in responsibilities to us on a ministerial team. And we must respect each other in those responsibilities. We must honor each other in those And while we don't lift our bishop brethren up on a pedestal and say that 
finally it is all theirs to decide and to run with. We, we don't function that way. I don't think we do in our congregations. We don't believe the Bible teaches that way. There is an order of authority and responsibility for us to adapt to, even if some of that is cultural. Even if some of that is what we, what we understand to be the best way for us to work together within our congregations. There is place for, for us to submit and to blend. We must. As men, our authority is only validated as we subject ourselves to the authorities over us. And when we get to the place that we haven't any feel for what it feels like to subject ourselves, then we, we probably will become exclusive and individualistic. Finally, that being the end, the end of that road. If we're too independent to appreciate and respect and accept authority, how do we expect our people to accept and appreciate authority? If on a ministerial team we cannot respect each other's responsibilities and each other's perspectives and find a way to blend, how do we expect our brethren? Do they only mirror what they see here? That can be the case. And so a ministerial team functions best if there's one who takes the initiative without waiting around. Our people appreciate leadership that carefully leads rather than a passive approach to things. There, there is a respect and an appreciation for that authority. So it has to be that one takes the lead and it has to be that we're willing for one to take the lead. Both, both need to be in place. It's a beautiful picture. We won't turn to it. But in Acts chapter 15, the blending of, of leaders as Paul and Barnabas was it that came back to the leaders at Jerusalem. So they were leaders coming to other leaders and dealing with questions and having pro- And they disputed among themselves. They had, they had some debate. They had some, it even sounds like some heated debate. But they finally came to some conclusions and, and leading brethren stood up and said, let's pursue this way. And, and they did. They, they pursued. Leaders seeking help from leaders. Are we willing to do that? I'd like to end with a bit of a challenge for us ministerially as we think about our individual teams relating to collective uh, fellowship, teamwork, and, and approach to, to our church life. We can have a fair amount of emphasis Sometimes I, it feels to me we can maybe have too much emphasis that, you know, I'm accountable to, to, my, to my brethren. I'm talking about a church now, I, Porter Mennonite Church. I'm accountable to them. And so that must be where I derive my direction. And while I think that we do have accountability to our individual congregations first before we do to each other, that's the way we have always functioned. Can we, can we come up with too much of an individual, a corporate individualism within our congregations that our congregations look broader and, and they don't want you as a ministerial team to be influenced by some other ministerial team? They don't want you to take heart from, take something to heart from, from the way something is going somewhere else. No, we, we can decide these things here. Can we foster and feed that thing to a fault? You think about it a little. I'm sure you have. Does that have anything to do with whether or not our people have any interest in fellowship meetings? Does it have any interest, anything to do with, with their perspective of the broader 
body of the Western Fellowship. Ministerially, does your team value the potential? Does your team value the potential that could come from the counsel of another ministerial team? Probably all of us would, would say yes to that. Do, do you value that as a team? Are you satisfied to only, you know, sometimes we can get wrapped up in our little ministerial team cultures, and it helps us. I, I have felt the, the need, the benefit to reach out. I think it's good for us to, to reach out beyond that to, to get another perspective. I never, I never thought about it that way. I never thought about that. Can we reach beyond our congregational culture to embrace additional perspective. Do you think that if we would hold that value of other ministerial teams, that it might come through and develop within our people a healthy perception of a broader picture? Do you think that we can maintain a strong level of congregational individualism without it finally turning inward and reacting to the local leadership? May God help us to sort our way through these things of individualism.